podcast, the podcast designed to help you heal holistically and give you the tools that you need to thrive. We're making it easy to understand medicine and wellness with practical steps from the experts, one podcast at a time. The only thing that we ask is that if this episode's help you live just a little bit better and more aligned, that you'll share this with a friend and leave us a review. That's all we ask so that we can continue providing you free, valuable knowledge from the experts of well-being. Today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Guthrie who is a highly qualified and experienced medical professional. He completed medical school at Loma Linda University and is a board-certified family physician. With 20 years of experience in serving in the Air Force, including the rank of retired colonel, Dr. Guthrie brings a wealth of expertise and discipline to the field of medicine. In addition to these accomplishments, Dr. Guthrie is certified in functional medicine and was a part of the first class to complete the program. His goal in patient care is to help individuals discover the underlying causes of their chronic diseases and understand how they can reverse those causes, ultimately leading to a reduction or elimination of the disease. We're so excited to have Dr. Guthrie join us on this episode of Rare Wellness, where he's going to share his valuable insights on health and wellness and functional medicine. So hi, Dr. Guthrie. It's great to have you on. Good morning. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we start every podcast by asking the speaker... Are there any unique or unconventional wellness practices or rituals that you personally follow? Well, yeah, actually, functional medicine in itself taught me to leave behind most of my uh, allopathic medical doctor training, uh, not from the science perspective, but how the science then is applied. So... When I am talking with a person with asthma, for example, I'm not viewing that as a disease per se, but a symptom of inflammation in the lungs that is presenting with a a symptom that that we have given a label. And uh, often uh, I will find two, three, four different diseases that are actually symptoms of the same inflammatory process. And if we can identify that, cause or those causes, all of those diseases will go away. So that's really what makes, I think, functional medicine unique. So it sounds like functional medicine at the core of it is all about reducing inflammation in the body. That is, it's not the only thing, but I would say it takes up about 80% of the time and effort of both the provider and the patient in eliminating disease. Yes. So before we dive into functional medicine and chronic inflammation and how to reduce that in the body, um, I guess in application, are there certain things that you do on a daily basis to help balance out your hormones or prevent disease? Like, I don't know, are there rituals like drinking hot water in the morning or I don't know, uh, what what are those things for you? So, I mean, the, the basic lifestyle things that I have found to be important and manageable in my own life are uh, a regular uh, exercise program. It's not, if it's not every day, at least every other day, and if it's only every other day in a high-intensity interval sprint type of a training, mm-hmm. um, uh, a diet that is largely plant-based, Okay. Uh, I, I I found it really critical and important from the both the science research perspective, but also mm-hmm. in my own life to eat within a six hour window every day. Um, okay. And uh, there's a lot of evidence for the importance of getting between six and eight hours of sleep at sleep. night at a minimum. Yeah. 
So talk to me a little bit more about that six hour window. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times that's referred to as intermittent fasting. Um, what are some of the benefits of doing that? And explain that a little bit from a scientific perspective. Right. So um, first of all, the literature goes all the way from a six hour window to a 12 hour window. I, okay. And there's you, you can get online and read the different uh, things. But the important part is this, is that on a regular basis, your body should be in a f true fasting state wherein it has run out of carbohydrates for fuel mm -hmm. and is instead burning fat for fuel. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you have very little fat on your body, that'll have to be fat that you're taking in uh, mm -hmm. with meals that you're eating. But most of us in this country have a little extra that we could spare. And right. burning that fat, what that does is several things. Um, one, it has your, your brain running on ketones, which are a byproduct of burning the fat. And your brain runs cleaner with a lot less waste product on ketones than it does on glucose. Those are the only two Interesting. it can use. The reason for doing it on a fairly regular basis is that if you just up and start fasting today or eat a very low carbohydrate diet, yes, within three to five days, you'll quit feeling starving and crashing and, and weak and can't think and maybe trouble sleeping. Right that's when your muscle enzymes have kicked in to burn fats for a living and started producing the ketones. But if you do it every day, then those enzymes stay geared up and ready to use at a moment's notice. So um, just for example, when I got up this morning, I didn't eat breakfast because I wasn't hungry. I prefer to eat when I am okay. hungry. So I went to yoga and my breakfast, I actually just finished my breakfast at about 11.30. And I was not hungry in any of that time period, during yoga, before yoga, whenever, because right. my system was geared up to burn fats right away. So mm. that is the type of uh, intermittent fasting that I recommend the most. Now there are others. If that doesn't work for people, there's fasting uh, two days out of uh, uh, a week. So two days of fasting, okay. five days of quote, regular eating. There's uh, fasting for 72 hours or for uh, three full days, uh, once a month. Uh, there are different ways of doing that. And the, the science, the research shows lo greater longevity, uh, tremendously increased resistance to the bad effects of chemotherapy and cancer treatment. Wow. And uh, the list goes on and on and on. Decreased insulin resistance, weight loss. There's a, there's a lot of benefits that come with uh, making sure that your body gets into a fasting state on a fairly regular basis. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Premium Center for Regenerative Medicine and Stem Cell Therapy in the Northwest. Northwest Center for Regenerative Medicine. Get back to the activities that you love without needing surgery. You can book your appointment at nwc4rm.com. Again, that's nwc4rm.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Rare Wellness Supplements. You can head over to rareplanethealth.com to get your supplements. My personal favorite is the premium fish oil filled with omega-3s. Again, you can go to rareplanethealth.com and get the supplements that you most need to support your health and wellness today. Lastly, this podcast is also brought to you by Rare Wellness. Rare Wellness is located on the South Hill in Spokane and is one center that provides all the wellness tools that you could need. Whether you're looking for a hands-on premium 
intimate yoga studio with a therapeutic emphasis, bar classes, Tai Chi classes. If you're looking for skincare treatments, injectable, hydrofacial, microneedling, organic spa treatments, if you're wanting to get therapeutic massage or book functional medicine appointments to get down to the root cause of your inflammation, Rare Wellness is the place for you. Whatever your wellness needs are, they have it covered. So to book your appointment today, go to rarewellness.com. Again, go to rarewellness.com and mention this podcast for 10% off when you're booking. Okay, time to get back to the episode. So it's really interesting hearing you talk about how individualized health is as well, how something Mm -hmm. that works for one person may not necessarily be the case for the next. So when you're working with a patient, how do you decide... um, let's talk about fasting, for example, how do you know what is best for your body? Is it just based off of how you feel? Is it based off of how do you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, I can know as a scientist, what's probably best for your body based on the science and my knowledge and understanding, but no theory is at all useful if you can't put it into practice in your daily life. Right. Uh, And in my experience, in my own personal experience and with my patients, the psychological and social factors are far more important than the scientific ones in determining wow. what type of fasting is going to work for you. Uh, I have had some people that are just really into the going three to five days once a month of absolutely nothing but water. They feel great by the second or third day. They have Interesting. tremendous energy. They clear up and, and they love that. Um, I, when I was uh, needing to lose another 30 or 40 pounds and still practicing uh, family practice on a more full-time basis with a lunch break and dinner with the family, you know, I had to figure out, well, what's going to work socially? What, what's going to fit into the end? Totally. Also, what can I maintain? What, what, you know, the, I'm a foodie. I love to eat. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm not eating, I'm missing food. When I yes. finish the meal, I'm looking forward to the next one. So, next one. So to me, um, the question was, you know, what works? I the, the best routine is the one that you can stick to, right? Because exactly. if you have the most dialed in, the most dialed in program and system, but you only do it once a month is much less effective than something that you're able to do consistently on a regular basis. Well, I mean, scientifically, if you do five days of full on water fasting once a month, you'll get roughly the same benefit that you do with right. uh, eating in a daily six hour window. But I would find that relatively intolerable. I would feel completely, you know, like I'm missing right. in that five days. Always, some people would say, I'm always hungry in the morning. You know, my mm. wife was like that, starving, just caving in, had to eat within five minutes of getting up. I so like that. She, <laughs> when she began eating within a six to eight hour window with me, that yes. went away in about two weeks. And she was up and out and working outside till nine, ten o'clock. Wow. And we came in and had breakfast and no problem. So it's yeah. not really about who you are. It's about what your habits have done to train both your genetic biology and probably more importantly, your biome, what's in your gut. Your body adapts as well as what I'm hearing you say. So what inspired you to pursue a career in functional medicine? Well, (laughs) it's interesting. It just started because I was in the Air Force and they would pay for me to go to some resort up in a small Canadian island in the middle of nowhere and it sounded like fun. But there I met, I met Andrew Weil, uh, who taught me about, uh, about different uh, ways of looking at healing, different healing mechanisms, mm. and, and integrative medicine. And then at an integrative medicine conference, I uh, heard a lecture by Mark Hyman, who's one of the main spokespeople for functional medicine. It's, he was talking about 
people healing and being cured instead of just getting their drug and adjusting the dose once a year, which yeah. is family practice at its core. And I, I really hated family practice. I was at the time doing mm -hmm. uh, uh, mostly administrative work and only really doing urgent care. And when I retired from the military, I still did urgent care alone for oh, probably five or six years until I had enough functional medicine tools to where I thought, you know, this will be fun to do in right. more longitudinal care. And mm -hmm. sure enough, it's a lot more fun to see your patients heal, to yeah. see a kid who's been intubated with severe asthma already six times by three years of age, uh, completely cured of his asthma within three days because he got yeah. off of the food that was triggering his lungs to spasm. And, and you can't, you can't find that in a study that all asthma is caused by, in his case, dairy. Yeah. You, you can't find, people are individuals and their causes yeah. for disease are different and it's exciting, it's fun. So I was able to go back and practice for another mm, 12 years or so and really, really enjoy being at work every day. Well, you're taking people from a state of survival to a state of thriving. And I'm sure that's so rewarding to see yes. that healing process occur instead of just let's numb the um the symptoms so right. that yeah that's huge yeah, and so, as a side effect people were going from eight medications down to wow. none or one uh and and, and uh, a huge money savings for them a huge toxicity burden because every medication yeah. is a poison i mean really that's the overdose mm -hmm. on them you find out what how they work totally um, and, and most of the time i'm modifying lifestyle exercise diet uh, patterns of thinking that drive a lot of health dysfunction. Yeah. So many things that in uh, traditional healthcare, it can become way more of a business of just keeping people on these drugs, keeping them dependent on these drugs to function when there are solutions through lifestyle. So that's amazing. Um, so why is chronic inflammation important in the context of overall health and wellness? So the reason for that is fairly simple, and that is that roughly 85 to 90% of all chronic illnesses are inflammatory at their base. For example, coronary artery disease. I mean, your doctor measures cholesterol and they treat the cholesterol, but they actually know that the damage to the artery wall is inflammatory damage. And the cholesterol is patch used to try and heal that damage. And it, cholesterol is just a marker. Lowering the cholesterol is actually not how statins improve outcomes. It's by their anti-inflammatory effect. Diabetes, mm. Alzheimer's, uh, hypertension. Uh, I've heard uh, a world-renowned cardiologist talking about hypertension, and he, he likes to say that hypertension is the normal predictable response of an arterial system to inflammatory damage. And he'll show us the biochemistry on the slides as to how that happens. But you reverse the inflammation, the pressure comes down and it comes down greater than it will with any medication. Wow. So can you explain the difference or explain the relationship between gut health and chronic inflammation? How right. do food triggered intolerances, allergies, and the balance between inflammatory and anti-inflammatory biomes contribute to chronic inflammation? Right, so inflammation is your body's main defense mechanism for invading life events, whether that be right. a laceration on the arm or an infection or, you know, those are the two main things that we were either created with or evolved with, depending on your philosophical perspective. But um, inflammation is a product of the immune system and that's its job is to protect us. 
of the immune system, approximately 80, 85% of the cells of the immune system live in the intestinal tract. Wow. Now, why, why is that? Well, because either with evolution or creation, it happened to be helpful or it was a good design that most of where we meet our outside world is between is after it comes into our mouth, right? We breathe right. it. We breathe it or we swallow it. Our skin is relatively impermeable. Um, so so that's why looking at the gut becomes really important because uh, you know, that one kid that I mentioned with the asthma, uh, his asthma started when he was weaned. That was when he first became exposed to cow's milk protein. And when we removed mm -hmm. cow's milk protein from his life, his asthma uh, literally went away in 24, 48 hours. He was off all of his asthma, drugs, steroids, albuterol, everything. And in the next 10 years, he didn't wheeze except twice. He ended up in the ER when he chose to eat ice cream once and cheese mm -hmm. once. Um, and okay, that's a, that's a fairly... Uh, severe Extreme. example. Remember, I met him as a three-year-old kid who'd been to all of the pediatric experts in the I-5 corridor between Seattle and Tacoma. And nobody, nobody looked into diet for him. Nobody asked the question, when did this start and what was going on in your life at wow. that time, right? It's a different question because in medicine, we're trained to look for what is this and with what do we treat it based on our studies in science. And if you view symptoms as a disease and you carry that infectious disease model to your treatment, then you think, oh, okay, I recognize this. This is like uh, strep throat. Uh, mm -hmm. We treat that with penicillin and it works. Well, mm -hmm. asthma isn't like strep throat. It doesn't have one cause. It has multiple possible causes and every individual right. that's going to be different, right? So uh, rather than, you know, suppressing the immune system's response, with inhaled steroids and dilating the spasmed arteries with albuterol, you try and help the patient find out why are, is your immune system fired up? And it's targeting, most patients with asthma, you'll see them with inflammation of their skin, you'll see them with uh, maybe worse acne, you'll see mm -hmm. them with uh, arthritis pains that come and go with their asthma because those are just different body symptoms of that of the same. inflammation that's happening, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So asking the right questions is crucial. How do factors like diet and stress impact gut health and contribute to chronic inflammation? Right. Well, we kind of touched on one already. There are certain people whose immune systems have, for whatever reason, learned to think of a food substance, pretty much always mm -hmm. a protein, as an invading enemy that needs to be defended against. And there's right. a lot, of, that's a long discussion as to why that happens, but that's kind of where that starts. Um, and eliminating that substance will often drop the inflammation. And if you get the gut quieted down enough and healed up from that chronic inflammation, often the sensitivity either goes away or greatly decreases. But there are other things w about the gut that don't have to do with foods coming in. I, you mentioned the biome. Hmm. So, um, I'll, I'll illustrate this with a study that was done feeding people a 16-ounce steak uh, and measuring then their inflammatory markers in the blood over the next 12 hours. Um, and they had two groups. One group uh, was uh, probably not well paid. They were carnivores. The other group was probably better paid. They were vegetarians. <laughs> and it's harder to get them to eat that much steak. But 
<laughs> Interestingly, like like predicted and observed in the past, the carnivores had a uh, fairly predictable spike of inflammatory chemicals that went up over the first four to eight hours and then drifted back down again. Um, it didn't zero out for several days, but a significant inflammatory response. The vegetarian just, the just vegetarian to make sure I understand. had zero vegetarians had zero inflammatory response. Now, why would that be? It's because the steak itself is not inflammatory. Hmm. But if you're eating animal products on a regular basis, you grow a certain set of bacteria that interact with animal proteins in a way that react that releases wow. inflammatory chemicals. So the vegetarian, if that same person were to eat meat every day for four or five days, they would begin to have increasing pain in the joints and the muscles, some fatigue, some brain fog. And how do I know this? Because I've done it myself. I was raised a vegetarian, my wife's a vegetarian, and I have been what I call a facultative vegetarian. <laughs> I could survive on either diet, but I, I like my meat and my diet. But if I eat meat three, four or five days in a row, I begin to feel a very distinct difference in my overall health. And when you think about it, go back to, uh, you know, 2000 years ago, uh, 3000 years ago, uh, there was no refrigeration. Mm -hmm. If you ate meat, you ate it when you killed the animal. If you were a hunter, mm -hmm. you ate it when you caught the animal and killed it. If you were a mm -hmm. farmer, you ate it when you killed the animal. You ate a lot of meat for two or three days, and then you didn't eat meat again for probably three, four, or five weeks. You were eating plants because plants were always available. Meat was not. Right. Am I making sense? Yeah. So you're, what you're saying then is their biome and their gut bacteria was at a baseline that made them able to metabolize meat in a way that wouldn't trigger inflammation. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Now there are good studies illustrating that people eat a 100% plant-based diet, that is the vegan diet as people refer to it, have better health markers than those who don't. Can we talk about, mm -hmm. can we talk about that um, vegan diet for a second? Because mm -hmm. I know personally, I also grew up vegetarian. I went vegan for a long time, but there is a difference between being vegan and plant-based. So can we talk about this for a second with our viewers? Because it is it is possible to not consume meat, to not consume uh, dairy, but to be eating French fries and yeah. Oreos right. and you're vegan, but is that really good for your biome? Right. Like what diet really is going to help people heal their guts? And if you're not eating meat, what should a proper gut healthy diet look like? Right. So you probably grew up with a similar uh, life background that I did as a child where vegetarianism was the norm and healthy eating was not about what you ate. It was about mm -hmm. what you did not eat. And, yes. and that is, when you think about that from any biological perspective, that's nonsense. No sense. Right. Nonsense. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I remember large potlucks full of refined carbohydrates and dairy products melted over them. And that was pretty much what there was. But it's vegetarian. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what matters is, is actually primarily the micronutrients of the plant based mm -hmm. foods and uh, the fibers most people have heard of prebiotic 
Uh, mm -hmm. Many people take prebiotic pills, so that's largely inulin, a set of fibers that tend to grow the anti-inflammatory happy bugs in your gut and help them to thrive while starving out the ones that tend to grow when you eat uh, a lot of meat in the diet or a lot of right. animal products in the diet. So it's, in my observation, it's really more about the biome. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, you mentioned, for example, taking prebiotic pills. Do you recommend that people take supplements or do you think that a healthy gut and microbiome can be achieved purely through diet? Well, I would say that, again, we either evolved or were created to have healthy bodies without disease. Mm -hmm. Third world countries that do not have all of the nice things that we have in this country do not have many of our chronic illnesses hypertension, autoimmune disease. Autoimmune disease is almost unheard of. When I have done mission trips in Central and South America and in Africa, you see almost no autoimmune disease because they're by necessity living a fairly simple life closer to how the original uh, system was supposed to work. Um, yeah. So I do recommend that for those of us who live in this country, and like our food and don't always eat what we know to be the absolute best healthiest food mm -hmm. that we uh, take a multivitamin with mineral uh, sub supplement probably on a daily basis to uh, fill in the gaps if you would of some of those mm -hmm. micronutrients do i think it's critical no but i think it's probably a good idea there yeah. is an exception vitamin d is not a vitamin it's a hormone okay. And it's a critical hormone for the functioning of your immune system. It is, not, it is about the bones, but only probably 5-10% of the receptors for D are, are, have to do with bone health. Most of it, it has to do with immune regulation. So that's one that I think everyone should be taking unless you are spending at least two to three hours nearly naked in direct sunlight with no sunscreen between the hours of 10 and two at the equator. Okay? That is what it takes to make your, wow. your D3. Okay, so wow. most of us are just not in that category. And if you, live, if you live this far north, that's not possible. It's just not, and, and sun lamps are probably not a good way to go about that. So uh, D3, I recommend 5,000 units a day, everybody. Eventually get your levels checked, but I've checked you know, five, 600 mm -hmm. of my own patients on a regular basis, and no one on 5,000 units a day was ever above a level of 80, 85. Toxicity begins somewhere north of 100, 120, yeah. and, wow. and your doctor will bring you up to 30 and tell you, well, you're good. Well, yeah, you're not deficient anymore, but you're not optimal. And, so, and if, you want, if you wanted to have enough testosterone, you would not be happy. Well, if I wanted to have enough testosterone, I would right. not be happy if I got just barely into the normal range. No, I want to be in the middle of the normal range, right? Right. I mean, that's how, and same thing for you with estrogen or progesterone. So right. let's talk about that for a second. Um, hormone levels. When we're, we're getting tested in traditional medicine or they're doing labs, mm -hmm. I heard you mention that they only test you to see if you're at the minimum, like the baseline that you would need. I've heard that in functional medicine, when you do labs, um, you're looking how to optimize your hormones, not just achieve those baselines. Or can you explain to me the difference between lab testing and and 
hormone levels that you're looking at when you have a patient come in? How does it differ from traditional medicine? Sure. There's a couple ways that it differs from traditional medicine. One is the mode of testing, because okay. depending upon what question you're trying to answer, you may want to get a blood level, but blood levels of estrogen go up and down by two to three fold on an hour to hour basis through the day and mm -hmm. from day to day during the week. So if you want to know how a person is doing kind of overall on their estrogen, you'll want to check something that's a little less up and down, a little less late right. is our word for it. So you'll want to test in saliva or urine. Um, uh, testosterone in general doesn't move that much. It's a fairly stable hormone. A blood level of testosterone for men, for sure, and I think for women as well, is probably going to be good enough. If a person is using... Uh, uh, is getting hormone supplementation through the skin or taking it orally. They're going to have these huge levels in their saliva because that's where that's where the hormone landed. Um, so there's there's a so that's hormones. And yeah, it, in functional medicine, we're taught that really we should be testing hormones and treating hormones to manage the symptoms of the hormone imbalances that we find. And we should use the smallest amount of hormone that it takes to reverse those symptoms. Now, right. some people, you get them up in the bottom 20% of testosterone, and uh, the guy who had brain fog and no confidence is suddenly, uh, you know, out there banging on things and, and exercising in ways he wasn't before. Um, great. Uh, yeah. you know, for me, uh, my testosterone levels were quite low, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I started taking DHEA, which is a, a hormone kind of at the top of the chain that your body can make stuff out of, make other mm -hmm. hormones. And with that and a little weight loss to make sure I didn't turn my DHEA into estrogen, which I didn't want, but my testosterone levels came up to the mid to upper mid levels, about the two-thirds level, and my symptoms were basically you know, that's about where they kind of leveled out and were nice. Now, if if the other patient I mentioned that 20% uh, of normal is getting aggressive and his wife is complaining about that he's been the same obnoxious person he was at age 23, then we might want to talk about adjusting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about the person and the symptoms, not yes. the levels. Now, there are some things that get toxic if they get too high. Uh, testosterone is very toxic at high levels. Um, some of the anti-aging uh, patients are used to having very high testosterone levels and it increases their cardiac risk and their risk for aggressive behavior and things like that. So it's, so, it's really personal, personal, very personalized. individual, and taking in mind what are this patient's goals? What do they right. want gone from their life? What do they, how do they want to feel better? There's something very unique to functional medicine that I'm sure many of our listeners are intrigued about and would appreciate. So, uh, Dr. Guthrie, do you recommend that everyone should at some point in their life get their labs done, understand their hormone levels, talk to a functional medicine doctor? Do you have to have a chronic disease in order to uh, see a functional medicine provider? Uh, well, no, you don't have to have a chronic disease diagnosis. Because remember, a chronic disease diagnosis is one that uh, some medical professional has collected enough data and said, oh, here, you have this one, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if at any age, 
you say to yourself, you know, I remember when I felt better than this. Mm -hmm. I wasn't as tired, as uh, achy, as I used to be able to think more clearly. Uh, I used to have more energy. Um, yeah. Anything of those those kinds of where where my life is not what I think it could be, then it's worth looking into asking someone, you know, to go over all of your data with you, check perhaps hormone levels. I mean, hormone levels, I don't test them on every patient. Um, right. And I... I... Uh, let's talk about some of those, again, habits that people can take home with them that you typically address when you see a patient you were just talking about. First, we try to address those lifestyle changes that can impact inflammation. What are some of those habits that you can incorporate to optimize your health? Okay. Well, first of all, it's kind of a trick question because okay. um, in every functional medicine evaluation, I review their 15-page questionnaire uh, the day or two before I'm going to see them so that I'm aware of where are their main problem areas. And I'm going to spend mm -hmm. my focus for them on those areas. But right. I have to grab some out of the air that are more important for more people. Sleep, critical. If you don't wake up feeling yeah. refreshed and um, you're not getting six to eight hours of sleep a night, then that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Six what is hours some less of sleep a night or poor quality of sleep has the same long-term chronic disease health risk as smoking one pack a day of cigarettes. That's real. That's not well, fake. That's multiple studies done in multiple countries around the globe uh, to where sleep is now being called the new smoking, if you would. Wow. Um, if you are, um, if you're overweight, getting help on understanding how to change that, every fat cell in your body produces inflammation. That's why people that the, the greater your weight is, the higher your risk of diabetes, hypertension, cancer, Alzheimer's, you, you name a chronic disease, they're all increased in overweight people. COVID deaths were primarily in people overweight and low vitamin D. Um, so that that's the second one. The third mm -hmm. one I already mentioned, D3, everyone who everyone. lives anywhere north of the Mason-Dixon line and or wears clothing and uses sunscreen, needs to have their D3 level checked. It should be between 50 and 80. A D3 level of 70 would have prevented 90% wow. of all intubations and ICU admissions with COVID. Okay? And that's worldwide data it comes out of Israel, out of Scandinavia, and it hit our news for a day, day and a half, and then it went away. Don't Nobody add talks about it. I don't know why, but, um, uh, you know, a, a study back probably 20 years ago in England showed that D3 given to children who are deficient, getting them up to about 50, reduced uh, school days missed from influenza much more than a flu shot did. To apply that same principle to this recent COVID thing we went through, that's why in England, they have this data and they pay for the healthcare from the government perspective. So the government said, you know, here's D3. Everybody take it. It's free. We're giving it to you. And they did that in the middle of COVID. And the reason is because of the data. Yeah. Um, let's dive in a little bit more. What's the connection between fat cell and chronic inflammation? You started to hit on that. And right. how do those fat cells contribute to inflammatory response in your body? Why is it so important to get your weight and your health um, under control? 
All right, so there are two kinds of fat. You have brown fat, white fat. The, uh, the brown fat is more inflammatory. It tends to be deep inside and packed around your organs. You can't see it. You can't pinch it. You can't feel it. It's, it's not right. available to you to assess. Um, the white fat is the stuff that you see and can get into. Mm -hmm. And if you cut yourself open on a barbed wire fence, it looks like tapioca. Um, so it, that's, those are the two kinds. The brown fat is more highly inflammatory. So the stuff that's packed around your organs that you don't see is what actually causes more inflammation uh, in your body. Now, how it does it is a long lecture in biochemistry, and I don't think you'll okay. do that. But, but every fat cell, as part of its normal metabolism, produces uh, inflammatory chemicals, uh, arachidonic acid, uh, among others, but uh, inflammatory chemicals that that basically float then around through the body and increase inflammatory levels. Interesting. So essentially what people could take away from that is when you're managing your weight, managing your fat, body fat percentage, getting your weight under control and getting seeking outside help to make sure that you're doing that, you can essentially prevent a lot of disease because Absolutely. your fat cells are minimized to trigger inflammation. Absolutely. So your average hypertensive drug is proven in clinical studies on average, not with every patient, but on okay. average to reduce systolic blood pressure about 10 points, 10, maybe 15 points. That's kind of the, the standard, okay, here's a drug, here's what I expect to see from the this drug. This is how much it's going to help you. Yeah, right. that's how much it's going to probably drop. And if that doesn't get you down to normal, we're going to need a second drug and a third drug to get, you know, we'll need to stack these till we get you down to normal. Um, but uh, 10 pounds of weight loss will lower the blood pressure at least as much, in my experience, usually more than a single drug will. And, and that's 10 pounds. And that's in a person who may be 50, 60 pounds overweight. Yeah. Remember that a five, a five pound block of fat is about two feet long wow. and about six inches by six inches. That, that's a pound of fat. That's five pounds of fat. So you lose two of those. That's a lot of fat cells, a lot of inflammatory chemicals. And you'll see the pressure come down. The blood sugar comes down in your diabetics. The... Often the uh, acne improves the, uh, yeah. Lose fat, cure disease. <laughs> well, and it's it's easy to say. It's not yeah. easy to do, especially if you love food. 100%. I currently weigh, uh, since about probably four or five years ago, I'm now less than my high school weight was. I wow. was always, always a chunky person and, uh, you know, ran at 5'10", ran a 180, 190 pounds. And at 160, I'm not down yet where I should be. I, I aim to get down to 150 um, when I get around to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to do a whole other episode just discussing, you know, how to manage um, fat loss and weight and how to do that from a healthy perspective, because right. I know that there's a lot there's a lot of misinformation out there and it is a it is a whole topic that we're going to have to get into separately. But I also want to elaborate on. Um, May, may, I put a, may I put a teaser out on that, okay? Yeah. Picture a man uh, who was in my practice, uh, principal of a local school that uh, under my coaching um, lost 120 pounds of his 280, 290 pounds. And when I told him, you know, you're thin enough. I, you, you need some fat stores 
to mm -hmm. you know have for backup i i would like you to reverse some of these changes that we made in your diet i want you to loosen up here and loosen up there and he said you know doc i love the way i eat i don't want to change anything okay hmm. I had another sales job to do there as to why it was important, but that's a sustainable change. When you like it, mm -hmm. when it works, when it's successful and you enjoy your food and your life, that's yeah. sustainable. That's not dieting as we've known it in this country. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and I know, especially, I know, especially for women, there is a lot of dieting habits that can actually, that are health trends that are not actually healthy for yeah. you. So yeah, a lot of fads and most patients that I see that are chronically overweight have been on, you know, 12, 15, 20 different diets. Um, each one, they lost some weight and then gained back what they lost yeah. and more. And there's specific reasons for that. Yeah. Right. And, and you want to avoid that. Obviously. Okay. Yeah. So can you elaborate on the role of immune system dysregulation specifically regarding vitamin D and chronic inflammation, like you mentioned earlier? Right. So remember that, that it, it, inflammation is primarily the product of your immune system, right? Yeah. Um, D3 uh, is a hormone. It has a cholesterol shape, it has a few differences, but that make it not testosterone or thyroid or other of our hormones. And hormones are communicators. It's what they do in our body. They talk from one system to another system and help things to get along help, uh, happily with each other. 80% of the receptors that have been identified for D3 are in the immune system. So it is really considered in scientific circles an immune regulatory hormone. So uh, in practice where the rubber meets the road, I probably could find for you uh, between 100 and 200 patients that came back a year after we identified their D levels being at 20 or below, who told me a year or two later said, Doc, you know, I used to be sick all the time. Every mm -hmm. virus I went through, I was just flat out sick with it. Now, for the last two years, I, I never get sick, or if I do, it lasts a half a day and then I'm done. Yep. Right? So, information for our viewers if they're wanting to incorporate vitamin D3 into their diet, what is the best way to do that? Are there specific sources? How do you know, is all vitamin D created equal? Do I just go to Walmart and grab the first pill that I see? That's a good question. The best vitamin D is the one that you make in your skin out of cholesterol. And that takes ultraviolet light. You don't want to sunburn. But don't want to sunburn. You want as much sun on your skin as you can get. And sunscreen that blocks ultraviolet light will keep you from making D. So hmm. in my opinion, there's probably a reason that D3 is made in our skin where the mm -hmm. sun comes through and it's an immune regulatory hormone. I suspect that it has great protective effects from the bad effects of chronic sun exposure. But yeah. there are many dermatologists who would disagree with me and I don't think that any of us have the absolute answer for sure. But that said, that's in my opinion, that's the best D to make. And there are Go get sunlight. There are, yeah, well, yes, and the infrared light has a bunch of other healing properties, and that comes with the ultraviolet. So awesome. that's a, another reason why sunbeds are not a good source. But in terms of taking vitamin D, in in, where is it in food? Cod liver oil. Okay. If you want to take cod liver oil. And that's about it. 
because you say, well, no, there's D in milk. Yeah, because somebody manufactured it in a factory and put it in milk. Mm -hmm. That's how we cured rickets in this country, okay, and around the world. Um, uh, you say, well, uh, you know, there's vitamin D in this or that or the other. Yeah, because somebody manufactured it and put it in. But manufactured D, most D3 is actually made from lanolin, which is an oil that's on sheep's wool. Okay, and interesting. It's, very, it's a very simple factory process. It's hard to screw it up. So uh, D3 is one of the supplements that I recommend. It really probably doesn't matter where you get it. Okay. Um, what about dosage? What dosage, uh, like, do you want to take 100 milligrams? Do you want to take 50? Uh, well, 100 milligrams would be a huge overdose. Um, hormones are dosed in micrograms. Okay? Micrograms, Some okay. hormones in picograms, okay? So, um, the, but in D3, uh, I believe 5,000 units. D3 used to be measured in international units, and that's what I've used my whole career until about three years ago when they changed or started changing to micrograms. 5,000 units, international units, should be 125 micrograms, okay. um, if my memory serves me correctly. And that's a good daily dose. Um, I recommend that uh, for if you have a Costco card, go there. Because mm. you can get, for, I don't know, eight bucks, you can get a year's worth. It's one of the cheapest supplements around. And it tends to be very pure. If you have food allergies, my wife has a corn allergy, we have to find hers that doesn't have corn oil in it, okay? Mm -hmm. So you have to look for that. That little, that little tiny capsule that you get with D3 in it, only probably one thousandth of that is actually D3. The rest of it's an oil. Well, Dr. Guthrie, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I, I know there's so much more that we can dive into and we're gonna have to do an entire other segment, maybe even splitting each of these sections, talking about diet, talking about hormones, talking about fat loss, exercise. Um, but we do end every episode with practical steps that they can take with us. So I feel like based off of the questions that I asked you, um, I'm gonna recap it and then you can add on to it. So I heard yeah. sleeping. Mm -hmm. is extremely important and by the way have you heard of an aura ring do you know what that is no so so i just got a ring that tracks your sleep but there's um i don't know if you have ways that you recommend that people this is not a sponsored product but it's just something that i personally have found in helping me understand how much REM sleep that i'm getting what time of the day does caffeine affect my sleep like i'm able to track all my different factors and then wake up in the morning and see like what are my stress levels how much movement did i have what was the quality of my sleep what was my readiness um so what exactly is the timeline of sleep recommendations that you said you recommend right six to eight hours and the most important screening device you don't have to buy it's a question like usual then the question is simply when i wake up in the morning do i feel rested yeah. am i energized am i ready to go if not, right. my sleep was not good, period. And That's it. You ask the question, you know, does caffeine affect my sleep? And I can answer that uh, without the ring. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Whether you're aware of it or not, it does. It affects it does. everyone's sleep, and there are specific biochemical reasons for that. But, um, yeah, so do I wake rested? Or um, do I need that cup of coffee to get going in the morning? Yeah. And yeah. if you can ask yourself those questions, you're going to get a lot of feedback on your sleep. Um, right. And so then on top of that, the second tip that you talked about was incorporating D3. Right. Get those supplements. You right. need you need that vitamin D. Yeah. And probably the, the one that I 
rant was going to get to, but we hadn't yet, is exercise. Exercise. There is a significant decrease in all-cause mortality in people who move at all 30 minutes a day compared to mm -hmm. people who don't. Now, I don't know where they find people who don't move for 30 minutes, but they sit in a chair, they walk to the car, they uh, you know get to the office somehow, and you know they, they just sit and drive and and uh, to me that sounds like a miserable life but so 30 minutes alone of just movement of any kind has a measurable health improvement and mm -hmm. the uh, that that benefit skyrockets when you get to uh you know doing every other day high intensity interval training which requires you know 12 minutes of actual exercise uh, over about a 20 minute time span every two days and has the same health benefits of running 15 miles a week. So there are ways to hack exercise to where it fits in your day. Um, I've had patients who live in a, who work in an office setting in a tall building. And if I can convince them to run 60 seconds upstairs and take an elevator back down to the office and do that four times a day, every other day, their pressure comes down, their weight starts coming down, their energy goes up. Yeah, it's tremendous. So exercise is a critical one and everyone should be getting some kind of exercise, whatever that is. Awesome, well, that is super helpful. So guys, apply those three tips. Let us know how it goes. Um, Dr. Guthrie, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you and I'm excited to talk more in the future. If people want to um, talk to you or have you, help them with their functional medicine, look into their health. Are you currently practicing? Where are you practicing? Do you do online visitations? How do people get in contact with you? So uh, there have been a few people that get in touch with me directly by just contacting me at my phone, which is available through the Institute of Functional Medicine. But most of the patients I see come through the uh, Rare Wellness Center or through the Regenerative Medicine there uh, that the uh, Dr. Lewis is running where, where you you uh, help him out in the practice. Um, I am technically officially retired, uh, or as I like to say, between jobs and not looking for work. But Jamie really wanted to bring functional medicine. So I'm, that's, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I love it. Awesome. So I will put the link for you guys to be able to book with him underneath this video, as well as on our Instagram. Um, please go follow us. And we're starting a Q&A segment where you guys can ask all of your questions. Uh, nothing is off limit that you want to ask the experts. So go ahead and drop those in our uh, messages over there. Um, and thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Dr. Guthrie, again. And uh, until next time, see you guys on the Rare Wellness Podcast. Have a blessed day.